and welcome to the second episode of the Taxpayers Australia Tax Wrap Podcast. My name is Nathan Hewitt and today we're joined by Bill Mavropoulos, Angela Lehman and Andy Newen, all uh, our tax specialists, resident tax specialists at Taxpayers Australia. Um, we've got three issues to discuss today in the realms of tax. Um, Angela's going to take us away with a, a Supreme Court uh, ruling Roche v. the Deputy Commissioner of Tax Outcome, yep. and that pertains uh, specifically to the Director Penalty Notice, the DPN. So, Ange, can you break that down a little yeah, bit for yeah. us? Yeah, yeah. Hi, everyone, and thanks, Nath. Uh, just, just briefly, uh, this is our little news flash, if you like. But uh, this case was decided last week, and I thought it was an interesting one because Director Penalty Notices. Um, there's been a bit of legislative change in that area, and it's something that probably hasn't been tested much in the way of cases as yet. So, I just thought bring it to everyone's attention it's probably a good way to sort of you know get some idea of how the ATO is thinking on these uh, these notices but basically what happened was a director of a company that didn't uh, remit pay-as-you-go withholding for employees so didn't actually lodge bazes for a period of time and didn't remit the withholding the uh, commissioner basically issued them with warnings and then the notices followed the uh, director tried to, uh, what was the word, appeal the decision, tried to get them overturned, tried saying they weren't in the proper format, they tried to make a number of excuses why those uh, director penalty notices shouldn't stand. So were they technical arguments, sort of? Well, not really. Things like, oh, the the actual letter from the commissioner was not signed, there wasn't an actual signature, and then there was that debate about, oh, well, an email signature is a signature, so... So, in other words, administrative type Yeah, things. very okay. administrative type things. Um, and basically, um, it was just completely rejected by the court, and it stood, all the notices stood, and in the end, it was in the vicinity of $800,000 in director penalty notices. Wow. wow. <laughs> and guess what? The business went into administration after that. Clearly, clearly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe not all that technical, but probably just uh, watch this space type warning maybe but to say will enforce it. yeah they will yeah. enforce it and okay. they are serious about these director penalty notices is this one of the first cases to look at director penalty notices I, i'm fairly certain it is if it's not the first it's definitely one of the very few that's that what we've heard of i'd say mm. yeah. interesting that it's in in one of the supreme courts rather than yeah yeah that's that's really weird. odd it yeah. was in the western australia supreme court um is I that know because it's the administrative side of things that was being tested perhaps or? perhaps it doesn't really say but i know the business in question was in western australia so so yeah they might have oh, just said know. yeah let's let's yeah. let's look at it there so i guess um just to touch on this topic very quickly the um the law changed around about 2012, so this is fairly new. Um, and directors that are new to a business have to be careful as well. So a lot of them probably think, well, if it's in the history of the business, you know, it's not really my no problem. Issue, yeah. But they've made it very clear after you've been a director for 30 days or thereabouts, the responsibility is yours, unless you can prove you've taken all reasonable precaution to mm. ensure that the business is in good shape. Mm. It is still your responsibility, even if it is a historical issue. So really be careful. So as a basic like overview of what, because I mean, there, there might be viewers out there that, or sorry, listeners out there <laughs> that don't actually know what a director penalty notice is. What is the broad overview of, oh, of that yeah, regime? Yeah, I have no question. idea what it was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. great question, <laughs> great go, question. So. <laughs> so basically, we all heard of the terminology corporate veil, you know, yes, that yep. directors are protected by the corporate veil and that if something goes wrong, that's not them being 
personally liable, this is where the tax office can say, actually, in relation to pay-as-you-go withholding... For a company. For a company. Yep, yep. And super guarantee obligations, you you will be personally liable and we will come after you if the company hasn't met go. its obligations. It's like a big torpedo. Yeah. It is. <laughs> so make sure, yeah. make sure your house is not in your personal <laughs> <laughs> I've got to, I mean, I've got to say, it puts a lot of uh, onus on the uh, on the director to, to make sure you know before you sign up to, to make sure that you know oh. you, you check out, do your due diligence about the company. Make Absolutely. Sure that, mm. I mean, if we consider how rampant the corporate veil is, being something that I've actually heard about, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's generally how you know. Um, it's interesting that this is you know one of the first cases where this has actually come to light. It's actually been yeah. an issue for directors. Yeah. So why do you think that that is? Are directors just smart about sort of getting around that? responsibility or possibly they just didn't take it seriously possibly they thought all right in theory there's this legislation about direct director penalties but maybe they thought it was more of a threat than an actual mm, yeah. you know sometimes the withholding payments are a lot smaller than the primary tax payable so maybe they're just because they're not smaller taking payments, it seriously they're like look we'll just pay it rather than test it in the yeah, court we'll just pay it yeah. it's just easier Possibly. I mean, who knows? But I think it, it's definitely going to be an area that we're going to hear more about mm. going forward. Very interesting. And, and, and why did they introduce these laws um, back back in 2012? <laughs> <laughs> why, why did they decide, okay, these directors uh, need to uh, need to be a lot more accountable? Yeah, well, it's it was to basically circumvent what they were calling Phoenix activities or fraudulent activities on directors' behalf. Okay. Um, do you know? I've, look, the only thing that I have really heard about the Phoenix type arrangements is where um, a director will set up a company, it will go bust, and then immediately set up another company doing identical yeah. business. Yeah. Similar sort of yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. So they just never pay their obligations. Exactly. Basically. Exactly. Well, I think Andy's. Yeah, you've, you've you've dealt with that as well. You've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think basically the tax office's way, or, or generally the way to get around that, is to say to them, well, you know what? From now on, you're personally yeah, liable. Had, yeah, we've, yeah, had, we've enough had enough. Yeah, we've had enough. Yeah, yeah, sure. I've got, to, I've got to say, it's a neat phrase, the phoenix. Uh, yeah. the phoenix arrangement. Right, like that. Rising from the ashes. Yeah, so yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Cool. All right, well, moving on to the buzzword of the time, um, Bitcoin, the, yeah. the cryptocurrency that has everyone talking, particularly on Twitter, uh, Taxpayers AU, uh, generally speaking, when we interact with the Bitcoin community, hashtag Bitcoin, it tends to do very well. Mm-hmm. So that tells us that everyone's talking about Bitcoin, particularly in the tax sphere, which is quite interesting. Um, the tax office has what we can sort of call maybe an archaic view of cryptocurrencies. They're a little bit scared by it, generally. Yeah. Um, so they've ruled that it's a, a commodity, so that... Um, has a host of implications for the everyday taxpayer using Bitcoin. I think um, you've been a bit mean. The ATO at least has come out and said something. I think a lot of foreign jurisdictions don't haven't said anything at all. Well, this the is yeah. Yeah, yeah, have just completely. So, I mean, the fact that they've even come to the table and put draft rulings in place and said, we will take a position, even if it's one that we don't necessarily like, mm. like you said, saying that virtually that type of currency is a commodity rather than a currency, mm. um, I, look, that's a positive sign. So I you think, think it's better the wrong ruling than no ruling at all? Well, I, I guess it just it just engages because, I mean, look, as soon as that draft ruling came out, mm. we did a submission mm. yeah, um, as, did. Part of, uh, as part of all of the accounting bodies, the Institute, the CPA, all of those guys got together uh, and, and talked about the issue. So I think without the ATO coming out and putting something forward, no matter how much we 
we disagree with their position um, sort of did prompt everyone to, to get involved. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of a dinosaur, Bill, I've got to say, when it comes <laughs> to these sorts of things. But uh, can, can you explain to our listeners sort of what, what's a Bitcoin? What, I mean, I keep on hearing, I hear right. you, you can mine for it. You All can right, I, I am not the youngest person in the room, but I will, I will try, I will try. So Almost there. Yeah, almost there, but, but not quite. So... Um, my understanding of what a Bitcoin actually is, is a form of purely electronic currency. Mm-hmm. So in other words, a medium of exchange that is electronic. Yeah. Uh, th- there is no physical banknote or coin that represents uh, that unit of value. So my understanding is um, when the tax office was looking at this, they've sort of said, well, in that case, it doesn't really fit or doesn't really sit with our interpretation of what a currency is at general law. So okay. when they looked at the, the the Act, the Currency Act, they've said, no, it doesn't fit in there, therefore we're going to treat it as more like a good, a, okay. a type of um, good that you can trade, barter-type good. Mm-hmm. And what was the reason for that? I mean, it's, it's quite interesting. You know, you yeah. like to think that, you know, it's no different to, you know... UK pound or you know a Thai mm. baht or, or something like that. Yeah, oh, look, I think there's a there's a few reasons. Oh, in my mind, I feel like um, the tax office is very conservative, as we all know. Um, they're, they're always going to take a conservative position. Uh, Angie's having a bit of a giggle. Yeah, but it is It is true. Yeah. Um, they they do not like to go out on a limb, and and I think um, looking at it. Uh, it's very easy to see how a Bitcoin would be some type of asset because I think even currency can be seen as some type of asset. Sure. So I think they've, they've sort of started in that position and they haven't really wanted to go out on too much of a limb mm. to say, sure. hey, actually, this is a new form of currency. We've got something that's, that's very pervasive here. This is something that, that will, in the future be traded yeah. much like our money. And that's just it. It's probably a little bit narrow-minded, uh, not, not not in a bad way, but that they've probably looked at it as, okay, Bitcoin is a limited number of resources. It's probably not going to be transacted on a large scale, but... It's just never going to get there. Yeah, but we yeah. need to set the precedent now for any potential future cryptocurrencies or all this market expanding as well. Yeah. So, But I... Look, I found it really interesting to, to delve into the tax side of things now. Um, I found it really interesting what the implications would be if you did treat it as a barter type transaction. Oh, yeah. Which, which like, is like what the ATO did. Yeah, what were some of those issues you came across? Well, I, I guess um, from, from a GST perspective, really, uh, it's as if um, all of the transactions that, that you undertake with Bitcoin would cancel out because you're trading goods of the same value. Yeah, that makes um, sense. And it's something that probably the tax office didn't really want to happen. Mm. <laughs> so whether or not they look at their ruling and sort of say, oh, we've made a bit of a boo-boo here and backtrack, mm-hmm. is, um, uh, you know, I will be watching that space. Um, but the FBT side is what you dealt with, Ange, so we want to hear more yeah. about the practical well, stuff. Well, FBT is one of those taxes. It's a bit tricky because realistically it has to follow whatever the treatment is for income tax purposes. Mm. I mean, you can't have one without the other, they're hand in hand. But what we what we did look into was the practicalities of it. So if we treat Bitcoin as a commodity or an asset, it therefore falls under the uh, property fringe benefit uh, sure. category. And the problem with that is, and, and they are all practical issues. How do you value a property fringe benefit? Well, 
we're supposed to use the value that the owner or the employer had acquired that at okay so if i'm a if i'm an employer and i have over the course of a year bought different type uh, under different trans- transactions different bitcoin i need to somehow register somewhere how much i paid for each one mm. marking it down against an identifier of some sort which mm. i don't claim to know anything about bitcoin in so far as the practicalities of you know they must have an id number of some yeah. sort yeah. um and then knowing exactly what value to place on it when you're giving it to an employee i mean well, i guess the volatility of bitcoins is huge so you might be giving a bitcoin worth potentially let's say three four hundred dollars but acquired it back in the day for maybe two dollars or yeah. if you were a data miner that actually oh, mined then, it then it's free. you actually co- okay. it actually costs you nothing yeah. so it's it's very limited view and then there's uh, arguments about well what if you give it to an employee as part of a remuneration package isn't it then in substance salary and wage yeah. shouldn't withholding be applied yeah. so there's a lot of that sort of practical argument behind mm. uh, yeah so i suppose the tax office is in, in a bit of a, a bind i guess because you know the well, there has been talk of yeah. referring it to, obviously, the government mm. to, to actually legislate because I think, uh, I really think with the general laws, they're, they're not fit for purpose yeah. for, for this issue. Mm. Um, so we're in that space as well and we're, we're going to do a submission on that. Uh, so look out for it, guys. Um, but it's also discussed in our November 2014 taxpayer edition. That's right. By another one of our tax specialists who led the, the submission on this, on this um, Letty. Yeah, sure. So look out for that. Yeah. Um, and, sh- and that that touched on most of the various different tax implications, I think. Well, so. she she went through in a bit more detail the income tax, the yeah. GST, yeah. the FBT, and I guess that's that's probably um, a bit more of a technical um, expose. Yeah, so it's so good. if, if it's people really are interested, good. definitely definitely get your hands on our taxpayer. Because mm, the the implications reach uh, far and wide, and it's also important to point out that the GST implications of Having Bitcoin as an asset pertains more to GST registered businesses. So if a business, if two businesses yeah. are transacting, that's right. That's where the GST cancellation will come into play. Um, there's a um, a Bitcoin sort of e-wallet firm, um, mm. Coinjar, and they're sort of pioneers in Australia. They're they're the leading firm in Melbourne, I want to say, which um, and they have been for some time. They they're prototyping a um, a Bitcoin FPOS card at the moment. Mm. And essentially what it does is it, it takes the information from your e-wallet, which is stored on your computer. So all the Bitcoins that you have, um, this FPOS card will transfer that Bitcoin into Australian dollars at the point of sale. Well, that's that's what it's touted it's to, to do. Yep. Um, so that changes the implications for having Bitcoin as a commodity. I mean, if there's something that changes an asset, um, which is really a cryptocurrency yeah. into a currency, uh, that's something a little bit un- unprecedented and something yeah. the tax office hasn't really touched well, as well. I, guess, I guess in that instance, you've got two transactions. Yep. So how they're going to deal with it? Um, look, to tell you the truth, it's probably in the too hard basket at the moment. <laughs> yeah. um, which is understandable. Which is understandable <laughs> because, because, I mean, if, if we say that we're a little bit aged and dated, <laughs> if you go into an ATO sort of policy development room, yeah, it's it's a interesting place to be. So mm. you reckon a law changes on the cardio bills? I, I actually think that that's the only way we're going to get any real guidance here. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So I, I, would, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if um, in the next 6 to 12 months the government does come out with a broader sort of overview of how those rules um, can accommodate this type of thing. Sure. Um, because Bitcoin, let's face it, is becoming more and more ubiquitous mm. in our society. So yeah, they do need to do something in that area. 
Uh, but should we move on? Yeah, absolutely. So pizza delivery uh, workers, something that the tax office has clarified recently. Now, Andy, um, there's quite a bit to get into this, so I'll let you sort of explain it in a little bit more detail. Sure, no worries. Huh? I've got to say, you know, like, when the pizza delivery guy comes and delivers pizzas to my place, you know, I don't really necessarily think much of it. Oh, don't, don't lie. You're thinking, about, you're thinking about the tax. I know you're thinking about the tax. But, um, you know, in, in a recent um, tax office uh, interpretive decision, the, the commissioner basically looked at pizza delivery guys and said, well, look, uh, are these guys employees or, or contractors? Because uh, for s certain pizza delivery uh, pizza franchises, they've, they've taken the view that uh, some of these pizza delivery guys should be, be contractors mm -hmm. as opposed to employees, which is, uh, which mm. is an inter interesting take, I've got to say. Um, yeah. Now... The, you know, the differentiation between, say, a contractor and an employee is quite tricky. Uh, <laughs> is uh, it just? <laughs> you know, amongst all aspects, to say the least. Amongst all aspects of the the law, you know, whether it be employ employment law, whether it be tax law, whether it be super guarantee payroll taxes, mm. it's it's a very difficult area of the law. So, but um, the commissioner has in this this interpretive decision provided a little bit of guidance and basically he he looks at the commissioner looks at a situation whereby you've got a pizza delivery driver who owns their own vehicle okay um, you know they but what they've done is with the franchise uh, franchisee they've actually got what they refer to as an independent uh, contractor agreement whereby mm. they've agreed to uh, fix you know rate per delivery yep. it's a non-negotiable rate okay. um, interestingly the the driver uh, is, uh, has an ABN and is, and is required to issue oh, an yeah. invoice to for his services. For his services. Oh, yeah. mm. And the other thing, you know, under this agreement is that it's not exclusive. So the driver can go somewhere else and uh, go somewhere else and drive for another, uh, you know, pizza, pizza franchisee. But um, as a traditional contractor would be able to do. That's correct. Yeah. But the reality is, you know. Uh, well, where, where is the control? That's 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 the question. Exactly, and I guess the other. I guess the other question is, you know, would they actually go and work for another mm. pizza, pizza franchisee? Well, I mean, as as a former pizza delivery driver, um, <laughs> this is this is very life, interesting for, for for me. Um, I, I look, I think my my um, number one sort of bugbear is is really who is taking the business risk in this situation. Yeah, I think sure. it's pretty unfair to point point at the you know the lowly pizza delivery driver and say, look. You're the one who's really running the business here. Yeah, um, exactly. I, I think so. I, I actually tend to agree with the ATO position for yeah. once. It, it seems to be quite fair, um, and we know there's a cultural tension between um, this kind of ruling and, and the reality is for pizza delivery workers. Um, in that, a lot of these arrangements are very informal arrangements. Um, you talk about lowly pizza workers; often they are treated as such. I mean, you get paid cash in hand generally. That happens a lot. Okay. Um, and obviously declared at some point. Well, we would hope. You'd like to. Think we so. would hope. <laughs> sure. Funny air quote, sure, sure. Sure. Declared at some point, but often, which is not the case. Which is, you know, it's a wrong way to do it. But it. it Places an unfair onus on the delivery drivers. Absolutely, who, yeah, I mean, sure. absolutely. I mean, from the employees' point of view, the franchisees' point of view, they, you know, they don't have. If, if, if this were the case, if they looked at it as a contract arrangement, they don't have to pay super guarantee, which mm. is yeah. which, look, which it's a big deal. is looked at in this uh, particular interpretive decision. There, there'd be no PAYG withholding. Um, you know, so so there are you know and or entitlements no, for that matter. Yeah, really, exactly. Mm. Yeah. exactly. So it covers a broad range of you know from employment law to 
you yeah. know, sort of taxes, various taxes. So it mm. is quite, uh, it's, it is quite broad in its application. Andy, I know this area causes so much confusion for, for, for everyone we speak to. Can you help maybe just give a couple of points that really help people in determining the difference between, or even just debunking some of the myths, because there's a lot of rumours and myths oh, yeah. out there as well. What are some of the key takeaway points we can give our listeners today? Yeah, absolutely uh, there, Angela. I mean, I guess first and foremost, just because I have an ABN doesn't necessarily mean, you know, I'm a contractor. That was a big one for me. <laughs> I, didn't, one. I really didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. thought, I assume they'd go hand in hand. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, and with these things, the, the problem is every time that people ask, ask me about this it's always you've got to look at the arrangement you've got to look at the the contract is there a you know some sort of contract in yeah. place what's the nature of the arrangement you know so and the tax office you know oh god bless them do have a <laughs> do have a um, pretty good employment uh, versus uh, employee versus contractor um, website uh, page on their website which okay. goes through some of these mm. uh, misconceptions their online myths. calculator is quite good as well it, I must admit yeah it's, it's actually a fantastic tool uh, I guess you you know with all tools unfortunately you've got to use them with a little bit of caution yeah, yeah. grain of salt sure um, yeah. but a good indicator I absolutely think. absolutely so so as Angela sort of pointed out you know um, um, some of the myths there um, having an ABN is is not uh, uh, does not indicate that um, also, you know, if if you you know if you've got a registered business name as well, that's 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 another one where you know you might think, oh, okay, this person's got a registered business name. That means that you know, you know, they must be a contractor. Yeah. So you've got a few little things there, uh, yeah. or, or even sort of if it's common industry practice, you know, like if all pizza franchisees do this, does that mean that's correct? No, not mm. at all. So, so there's a few there's a few things there to, to look out. The substance over form. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so nice to have that point of clarity. Um, that'll also be that tax office deliberation will be discussed in more detail now, October 2014 um, monthly tax update. That's right, yeah. Which is a video that's put together by um, Mark Chapman, our head of tax at Taxpayers Australia. So that'll be out in the next week and that'll be a, a more comprehensive breakdown of the ATO's deliberation in this case. Um, but all this information is readily available to um, contractors, pizza delivery guys as it were, on the tax office website. So um, any information as always is in layman's terms so it's quite easy to understand um, and provides uh, pretty easy clarity particularly in terms of the, the common myths that you might run into because we run into these in, in a practical sense all the time. And to plug to, to plug Taxpayers Australia we've got some great tools as well so if you want to talk to um, one of the guys down here um, 03 8851 4555 um, to inquire about membership. Fantastic. Okay, well, I think it's about time that we wrapped up our second episode of the Taxpayers Australia Tax Wrap podcast. <laughs> thanks very much for joining us, guys. Thanks, Nathan. Cheers. Thanks, Nathan. So you've been listening to Nathan Hewitt, Angela Lehman, Bill Mavropoulos and Andy Nguyen. Thanks. <laughs>